it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome. You're watching Destination Draft Day. Michael Rockman here, joined by my co-host Brian Sosa, Nick Durst, the other co-host, not able to make it today. He's busy with real life work. So, Brian, we got a big day of football talk. How's it going for you? Going great, man. No better way to end the week than right here. Let's get it started. So, immediately, just right off the bat, there's one big storyline that I think you and me got to talk about. Le'Veon Bell has been released by the New York Jets and is now officially a Kansas State Chief. Look, for me, for you, for everyone who knows football at all, the Kansas State Chiefs were contenders already. So this isn't like, you know, taking this team and bringing them to the next level. But at the same time, this could be a huge asset. And if Le'Veon Bell is, you know, still the same player that we saw with the Steelers, and is able to produce anywhere near that level, the Chiefs are getting a great weapon. So as someone who, you know, for better or for worse, is watching the Jets every Sunday, do you think that it was more of a team thing that kind of made Le'Veon no longer perform to what he is kind of known for? Or do you think that, you know, Le'Veon is kind of not the same back, but it's still going to be still going to be able to produce for Kansas City? little bit yeah well first off talk about a glow up just a major glow up you go from really from the jets to any contending team probably you know the bears were in the mix or the bills were in the mix and those teams it would have been uh great for him to go there too to go to the chiefs is just like it's really an unimaginable thing you know for Le'Veon. good for him uh it's a little bit like the Sam Darnold situation, right? Only because it's the same team and it's just how much do you judge one player's lack of lack of effectiveness compared to an entire team that has no talent, right? So we know that Le'Veon's style of running is he's patient, he waits for the hole, and then he sort of hits it. But if you have an offensive line that doesn't really create any holes and doesn't allow him to be patient and find them, then, you know, uh, then it's not really going to work out. So I still think he has something left in the tank. I think in the right offense, he makes a uh, he makes a difference. Um, I don't know how much the Chiefs uh, needed him, but I mean, knowing Andy Reid, and then obviously you have Eric Bieniemy running the offensive scheme um, scheme. Also, like I'm sure that they'll find ways to make him effective, and we're going to look and say, oh, that's how you use Le'Veon Bell. Adam Gase has no idea what he's doing, and it'll be just another reminder. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, with Bell going to Kansas City, if this guy just automatically blows up, like, you know, probably not this week, but going forward, he starts contributing week in, week out, putting up about, you know, 80 yards on the ground on limited carries, let's say 12 a game. Do you think that that would be enough of a, hey, you know, if this guy's just dominant anywhere else except for here with the Jets, do you think that's a wake-up call to, you know, maybe get moving a little quicker on that fire Adam Gase train? 
Yeah, I think it'll exactly. I just think it'll be, uh, you know, icing on the cake at this point. I think there's enough layers. I think there's enough proof there that Adam Gase really isn't a leader of men or a very good head football coach. So I don't think you necessarily need Le'Veon to be a success elsewhere, but it would certainly take a little bit of the uh, heat off the argument that Le'Veon's just washed up and he doesn't have anything anymore. I mean, you know, you put it, it, it would really prove that, you know, you put him in the right system and he could still be successful. Um, and I'm sure that he could, I'm, you know, I can't wait until they play the jets and he scores three touchdowns in a month. It's I, I can't wait. And, you know, a lot of people may just think automatically he's just going to dominate. And I think there's still some questions to be had. Le'Veon for me is a great back, but at the same time, this chiefs offensive line isn't one that's going to completely go and support his running style at the same time. So there's still going to be some issues. There's still going to be a growing process of switching teams, finding out this new offense. He's a great receiving threat. I think he's still going to be able to produce in that role, but at the same time, we'll see how his run game has, you know, really developed in terms of dealing with an offensive line that doesn't give him as much opportunity. The chiefs have, you know, an average offensive line. I wouldn't say that it's one of the best. So the patient approach is still going to have his struggles at times. There's going to be games where defenses are a lot better at, you know, letting themselves be patient back. And oftentimes that kind of limits Le'Veon Bell's production on the ground. But, you know, one of the big things that I've seen on Twitter and other social media is just people acting as if Clyde Edwards Delaire is now just irrelevant in terms of, you know, just usage or future and just like a waste of a draft pick. And, you know, so many teams split the backfield and the Chiefs aren't going to be different. They aren't going 100% Le'Veon Bell going forward. They still like Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And, you know, for me, he has maybe not not met expectations for a first-round running back. But at the same time, you know, this, this guy's still a first-round pick. He's done well. It's not like he's, like, done bad. It's not like a disappointment of a pick. And, you know, there's no reason to bring someone in on a half-year deal and just completely give them the backfield whenever you have a future with CEH who's there for four more years most likely. So, Brian, I'm asking you, you know, how? what do you think the splits are going to be for this backfield going forward? Do you think it's going to be a 50-50 thing? Do you think CEH still gets majority with Le'Veon given like 40% or do you think Le'Veon kind of – gets the higher hand, but CEH is still the future. What do you think is going on with Kansas City in this backfield going forward? Yeah, for the most part, it just has to be a platoon, right? I don't think anywhere Bell went, he was going to take, you know, he's never going to be that workhorse 30 carry a game sort of like back anymore. And especially when you go to a place where they have a young guy that they want to give snaps to, and there's really no reason not to continue giving Edwards a layer snaps. So he'll probably get all the snaps in the red zone. But um, I think – you know, to really dovetail off what you said, where Le'Veon's usage will be mostly be running out of the backfield, right? And catching balls and and just finding ways to make space for him. So when they get into the red zone, I'd expect to see Edwards Alaire, but in the middle of the field on especially, you know, on third down and third down and long, especially, I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if that's when Bell was in the game. And, you know, I think the biggest difference is that he's joining a team with so many weapons and, you know, when you have to account for Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey and everybody else that they have on the field, you know, uh, there's only so much they can do to cover Le'Veon as well. Uh, when the jets only have Jamison Crowder, um, uh, and it's just, it's just not the same. So there's only so much attention that you could pay to each guy when you have that, that many guys on the field. And that's why I think he'll ultimately be successful, but he's not taking Clyde Edwards, Alaire's job. Yeah. And I said this when Clyde Edwards-Alaire came in, and I'll say it for Le'Veon Bell. They have one of the easiest jobs at running back with how impossible it is to really focus on the run when you're playing the Chiefs. When Mahomes is there and you have the deep threats that they do, there's there's going to be empty boxes. Like There's three, four, maybe five tops guys that are really going to be focused in on trying to stop the run or at least trying to get into the backfield. So... You know, this is a huge chance for Le'Veon Bell in terms of great opportunity to really prove 
where he's at. And like I said, the offensive line isn't what the Steelers offensive line was when he was having his best seasons. But at the same time, in terms of opportunity with limited, you know, pressure in the box and stuff like that, he's got a great chance to really make some great plays. And I think we're going to see some big breakout games from him. It's just, it's going to be so sporadic that it's hard to rely on for any fantasy owners out there. I'm sure he's going to be a fantasy headache still. Yeah, I do. I definitely think that they're going to just find ways to get him the ball in space. Uh, if I will say that if Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy can't, you know, find a way to make Le'Veon a little bit effective, it will look, you know, that will have a, a probably a negative impact on his prospects moving forward because there really aren't many better offensive schemes or offensive minds. Uh, but I really don't think we'll have to worry about that because he's going to end up being effective. And on the other side of this move, the Jets head to play the Miami Dolphins this week and then have a bye week and then play play Miami again. You know, when we were looking at this a while ago, we were saying that's their best chance at a victory. But now Miami coming in off of a huge win against San Francisco while the Jets just continue to look worse every week, trotting out superstar wide receivers, Jeff Smith, Braxton Berrios, you know, me and you, we, we share sympathy for Darnold and we have guys on the jets that we like. We aren't saying the whole roster is terrible. You know, Jameson Crowder underrated slot receiver, big fan of him. I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I think this year he's finally starting to get some, but you know, with the way each team is trending, it seems less and less likely that the jets even get a win for one of these, you know, two games against the Dolphins. How are you feeling as a Jets fan for this, you know, uh, doubleheader of sorts for the schedule? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, they actually, they changed the schedule. Originally, that was it. The Jets were going to play the Chargers this week, and everything got flipped around. So the Miami bye thing is they play Miami again in, uh, you know, a month from now. So it got... Oh, okay, my apologies. But no, it's okay. It's just it, everything is all you know crazy and i but you know and i don't think it will matter uh i they're you know they're after seeing what miami did in san francisco you know last week especially uh it's really hard to see the jets beating this team or really any team it's it's out of the jets hands at this point and it's in every team that they plays hands if that team plays terribly then i guess that there's a chance but that's really just you know, that's really it. It's out, the Jets aren't a good enough team to go out and make it happen. And especially not with Joe Flacco at quarterback. And, you know, that's just the nature of it. But by now, myself, any Jets fan really just resigned to it. And we really just should be looking towards the draft pick. I mean, jokes on Twitter are going to fly the Jets way no matter what. So whether the team goes 2-14, and 1-15, and 0-16, oh it really doesn't matter. The Jets need the draft pick. They need to fill the holes. Um, you know, Jets fans should just be you know, looking at the future and just knowing that right now is a bit of a dumpster fire. It's been like this for a really long time, unfortunately, but I mean, there's nowhere to go, but up Michael, I'll say that. Yeah. And you know, standing wise, there may be a lot of people in contention, but really, unless there's some crazy injuries like Matt Ryan or Matt Stafford, I feel like the chase for number one is down to three teams. And you know, the Jets are obviously probably the prime contender for that. And then on the other side, it's probably Washington football team and the New York Giants, who both play each other this week. You know, Washington kind of had a similar situation for Haskins as Darnold went through with New York, where you're just watching, you know, there's issues for this QB. I'm not saying Haskins was perfect, but other than McLaurin, they're just – hasn't been a lot of help on that offense. The offensive line was terrible. The other weapons, you know, there were some guys that maybe had some promising weeks here and there, but no consistent viable threats. And now he's had three head coaches in two seasons and only like 11 starts. And he's been relegated to like fourth string on the depth chart with Steven Montez getting snaps over him. What are your thoughts on the whole situation with Haskins and, you know, I know you relate to it a little bit with watching it happen firsthand to Darnold as well in a lesser degree, I guess, since Haskins is just getting shoved out now. But 
Do you think Haskins has a future in the NFL as a starting quarterback? Yeah, uh, that's hard to say. I mean, based on what we've seen so far, no. But again, based on the team that's built around him and the talent of everybody else around him, he wasn't exactly in a position uh, to succeed. You know, I'm not sure whether I ever felt like Dwayne Haskins was going to be a franchise quarterback, but there's other people who felt like that about Sam Darnold from the beginning. So, I mean, nobody uh, really knows uh, coming out of college. I will say it does, it feels, it feels unfair but at the same time, we also may have gotten to the point where it's actually easier to move on from Dwayne Haskins than it is for Washington to do this to him all over again. Whether it's you know a new offense, uh, keep him as you know the backup um, behind how many different quarterbacks, you know. And so it's just like this guy was the starter to start the season and for the first month. And uh, if his confidence didn't take enough of a hit just being taken out of the starter's role, well, I mean, getting less snaps on the practice squad guy will definitely uh, crush a guy's confidence. So I don't know what the plan is with Dwayne Haskins. I mean, the other problem is that they can't get anything for him, right? You know, especially because he can't play. I mean, there's still a chance that even if the Jets lose every single game, if Sam Darnold comes back with, you know, a crappy team around him and puts together some, a few scoring drives that somebody wants him for a late round draft pick. But if Dwayne Haskins doesn't play another down based on his current NFL resume, what is Washington even going to get for him? And so that's um, that's where it becomes tough to see him as a starting quarterback. He'd have to latch on somewhere else as their backup and kind of get in uh, through that way. I don't think anybody would put him into a quarterback competition. Yeah. The thing I've heard most, Rumor-wise, is just a team like Pittsburgh where they kind of have their guy probably for next year, but they don't really have a true set-in-stone replacement. So they give, you know, maybe like a third-round pick, maybe fourth now with everything that's gone on and take their hopes that he can really develop under Big Ben and then eventually step in and be the next QB for Pittsburgh. It would certainly be interesting to see Brian, we got a lot of big games coming this weekend of college football. You guys over at Bonus Seekers have presented us with some great matchups to go over. First game, we got Miami-Florida versus Pittsburgh. Brian, why don't you give us a little breakdown of this game and the odds for it? Yeah, Miami gets a much easier test uh, this week when, uh, than you know last time when they were two touchdown underdogs to Clemson. Now they're two touchdown favorites. Uh Listen, Miami's going to score. Miami has weapons. But I think Pitt is good enough on both sides of the ball to keep these cl- keep this game close. They lost each of the last two games by, I believe, one point each. They held Louisville to 23 points and beat them. Uh, you expect, you know, Derek, uh, Derek King and, you know, and the Miami offense to have a pretty good game. But I don't think they're going to win by two scores. Uh, maybe some more points than people think. Um, let's say over 47 and a half, but definitely Pittsburgh uh, plus 13 and a half in this one. Yeah, it seems definitely like a closer game than people are making out to be for spreads. My players to watch Cameron Harris after a rough outing against Clemson really needs to take the rock back and put up some big runs today or tomorrow, I guess. Pittsburgh has a great defensive line, and one of their key players is Patrick Jones II, is leading the nation in sacks already in a huge matchup against Miami, Florida, where eyes are going to be watching this game. I want to see him have a huge monster performance to really solidify his spot amongst the top edge rushers in the college football ranks. On the other side of that coin, we got Quincy Roche for Miami, has had some really nice games for the Hurricanes. Now coming against Pittsburgh, where he will need to be a key piece of this Miami defense to slow down Kenny Pickett's and this offense to get Miami moving forward with their victory. For our next game, we got the number two team versus the number three team in the nation. Early October, we usually don't see games at this much on the line as it has. Alabama has been an offensive explosion lately. Their defense, not so much. For Georgia, is kind of the opposite side of that. Their offense hasn't really been as explosive as their defense has been, just absolutely dominant. Probably the best secondary in college football against the best receiving group for Alabama. 
in college football. Brian, who you got in this matchup, and what are the what's the uh, spread for it? Yeah, the spread was somewhere around you know Alabama minus seven, but I think with um, you know Nick Saban being out due to contracting you know COVID nineteen, it's been bet all the way down to around plus four and a half. Um, it's an interesting game with a you know contrasting uh, strengths as you said. So you know in college sports, coaching is so important, and there are really more questions than answers. You know without Saban. Um, you know, unless you really like Alabama in this spot, I'd kind of lay off the spread. What I'd most recommend is actually giving Georgia a few extra points, you know, with a teaser, get them the plus 10 and a half, plus 11 to cover uh, a few key numbers. But other than that, I'd actually stick with the under, believe it or not. I know Jalen Waddell. I know Alabama, you know, is able to score points, but uh, they really haven't seen the defense like, like Georgia. And you could say the same absolutely, you know, in reverse, but I think that they'll get – these defenses will be able to avoid those quick strike touchdowns that really, you know, add up when you have these games with high totals. So, you know, I think it's somewhere up in the high fifties and I would take the under there. Yeah. This is also a big game for Mac Jones, who I really like as a quarterback this season so far going against one of the best defenses that he will really go against all season. This is where you prove yourself as a prospect. Some people talking about Mac Jones as a potential top five quarterback in this class. I have him as QB four. We'll look at that later, but, you know, it's really just such a great matchup for Alabama offense versus Georgia defense. It's going to be exciting. My players to watch, Jalen Waddell against Eric Stokes, both very highly touted prospects, have had great seasons so far. Absolute speed for both of these guys. Going against each other, it's going to be very interesting to see if Waddell can just erase or no, if Waddle can just escape Eric Stokes, and if Stokes can erase Waddle, both of these guys are worthy first-round picks at the moment with how they're playing. So it's going to be very fun to watch these guys go at it on Saturday. And then my last player to watch, Aziz Ojolari, the edge rusher for Georgia. Look, I've kind of talked about it a bit on the show. I'm not as big on Alex Leatherwood as a lot of people are, at least as a tackle. If he went to guard, maybe I'd be a little bit higher. But Aziz has put up a great season, and this is another great opportunity to really capitalize on that opportunity. At 8 o'clock, primetime game, everyone's going to have their eyes on this. If Ojulari can add pressure to Mac Jones, who's already having to deal with such a strong Georgia secondary, then Georgia could take control of this game and potentially come out with a victory. For our last game, we got Boston College versus Virginia Tech. Two schools that have one loss on the record, but are playing pretty well given the expectations that have come into this season. You know, Virginia Tech just came off of a loss to North Carolina. Boston College came off of a huge victory last week against Pittsburgh. Brian, who do you like in this game? And give us a little feedback of your own. Yeah, you know, this is a game where you just have to love the idea of points. I think the total opens around 57 and a half. It's all the way up around 63, and I'd still go with the over. These defenses kind of struggle. Um, we've seen other offenses put up big points on them, but we've also seen these offenses score points. So I definitely would lean towards the over, even, even with the high total. Uh, I just don't feel comfortable giving away nearly two touchdowns with this Hokies team or against this BC team. The spread is somewhere around Virginia Tech minus 13. I just think too much Zay Flowers on the outside for Boston College, you know, a really good receiver. Um, I think they're going to score enough points to keep it within two touchdowns. So Boston College uh, and the over is what I'm looking at that game. Yeah, for my players to watch, I got Hendon Hooker, the quarterback for Virginia Tech. Didn't have a great outing for his first game of the season last week. Will look to bounce back. There's an excuse for Rust. For Rust happening due to the missed time, the condensed offseason, and lack of you know full participation in it. So for Hooker, now has a game under his belt, needs to bounce back here against Boston College in what is a big game for Virginia Tech. I really look to see what Hooker can do as a passer. As a runner, he's always going to contribute, but we want to see what he can do with his arm. And in that passing game, he will have to target James Mitchell, the tight end for Virginia Tech, who has put up some great numbers for them. 
He is their leading receiver and has shown out. In terms of analytics, he has one of the highest dominator ratings in college football, the highest for tight ends. So it's a great opportunity for him to really showcase what he can do in a primetime game against Boston College. On the other side, for Boston College defense, Max Richardson, whether it's trying to chase down Hendon Hooker, whether it's guarding James Mitchell, or whether it's stopping the run of Khalil Herbert and other Virginia Tech running backs, Richardson is going to be in for a long night of a lot of different looks. So it's going to be very fun to see just how talented this guy is. This is going to be a great game to really evaluate and see what this guy is capable of as a linebacker. I've had a lot of friends tell me that Max Richardson is a dog. And, you know, I haven't had a chance to really dive in and fully evaluate him, but I'm really looking forward to seeing this game once it's out and finished and seeing what my takeaway is. Brian, obviously these three games are very exciting, but there are some big matchups this week in college football. Is there any other matchup that you kind of look at and you're like, oh, yeah, this is easy money. For me and anyone who cares to listen. Oh, I wish I could tell somebody that I had some easy money picks for them. It's actually quite the opposite. I look at the slate and I'm really interested in a lot of games, but a lot of them seem really tough to call. I look at some of these SEC games and I think they're really interesting. You know, Auburn um, is in an interesting position because they do obviously play the Iron Bowl against Alabama late in uh, November. And, you know, if Georgia were able to, you know, pull off an upset and, you know, Auburn can pull out a road win against South Carolina, you know, they're level in the SEC West and they play against each other later on. So, I mean, I think that's just a huge game for Auburn. I see a lot of action on South Carolina, but I can't, I can't help but feel like, um, but feel like Auburn would get, would get, get it done uh, in that one. There's a couple of other interesting games. I think Louisville-Notre Dame is an interesting game. It could just be fun to watch. Uh, I don't think it'll be particularly close. Notre Dame should win by a lot, but, you know, a lot of points scored. Um, UCF and Memphis, if you like points, you should probably tune into that one Saturday afternoon. You might see a million of them. And the same thing, Texas A&M, Mississippi State. Um, what are a few that you like, man? For me – I really like Mississippi State to beat Arkansas. I think Mississippi State had a great outing against Alabama last week that is going to be huge, and this offense is able to score points at will. Arkansas has played some motivated football lately. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to disrespect them at all, but I think Mississippi State, with how close that spread is, I think it's an easy easy bet right there. Talking about Texas A&M, Mississippi State, like you did, and I think A&M – at the very least, is going to put up points. The over-under I'm seeing is 55. I'm not sure which one you have. 54 and a half, yeah. 54 and a half. I feel like that's perfectly capable. Both offenses can put up points. I think we at least see 30 on each side. So I think betting the over in that game and probably going with A&M, even with the uh, five-point lead, is probably a safe bet. But overall, it is definitely an exciting, but tough to – bet on week of college football yeah one thing i would definitely take a look at is if you are a believer in the georgia bulldogs this is your absolute last chance to get any value betting on them to win the national championship <laughs> not uh well if they lose there will still be value on them but they just probably won't be going but if they win this week their odds are going to shrink you know obviously dramatically because they're playing alabama one of the teams in front of them in the rankings um and uh you know they're plus 900 right now if you think georgia has a chance to beat alabama you know consider that and also no idea what's going to go on with florida so i won't even touch them but notre dame is just dangling out there at plus 4000 and you know i don't ever like to get too excited about this team because every time they play a big game they end up you know, it doesn't really go so well for them, but yeah. they probably would have to go undefeated and they do have to play Clemson. But just from a value perspective, there's not that many teams I would even, you know, be interested in putting my money on at this point. But keep an eye on Georgia, especially. Certainly some exciting games. And with those exciting games come some exciting players. So let's move on to my top five at each position group for this upcoming draft. Starting out at quarterback, 
Number one is easy. It's Trevor Lawrence. I think this guy is just a complete playmaker, a complete franchise changer. You know, it's really no question. I think coming into the season, this guy has been established as the number one pick and really established as the number one prospect. So it's no surprise here to see him as the number one quarterback coming into the season. For QB2, I got Justin Fields out of Ohio State. Absolute playmaker. Rumor coming out of Ohio State was that he ran a lasered 4.4240. That kind of playmaking and speed is going to be huge for him, whether it's as a runner or even just extending plays as a passer. Very excited to see what Fields can do at the next level. One more week without the Big Ten, and then we get to see Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, Minnesota, Wisconsin. So many great schools come back to play in. Justin Fields is going to be one of the biggest stars of that return, and I cannot wait to see it. Quarterback three, we got Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. I understand there's a lot of question marks about Trey Lance after a so-and-so outing in his one game this season, but I promise you Trey Lance is worth the hype. He has a great arm, some great mobility, and you know, with more and more time, there's definitely going to be some entice when it comes to NFL teams about Trey Lance and they are already loving this guy from what I've heard from draft media I think it's well warranted he has all the tools you really want out of quarterback may need a little time may need to sit for a year in a situation or at least sit for a few weeks but I think Trey Lance will eventually take over for a team in the NFL and become a successful star quarterback at QB4, I got Mac Jones. I think he's been one of the most slept-on quarterbacks so far this season in terms of draft stock. He has absolutely dominated. I understand with Najee Harris, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, even Morris Forrestal, it's easy to look like a great quarterback. But Mac Jones has done so, and it's hard to really fault him for how good his team is when he's putting the ball in such a great spots. He's able to send it downfield. Against Ole Miss, it was wet. Like, there was no chance of having a good grip on the ball, and he was still just launching it downfield, putting it up for his receivers, and they were easily getting to it because of a great placement by Jones. I think he's a phenomenal quarterback and is one of the guys that people need to start paying more attention to going forward. And for my last quarterback on this list, we got Kyle Trask out of Florida taking the number five spot. Trask has put up some great performances. Last week, Florida lost and people were disappointed to see Trask have these have this magical Joe Burrow season, but he still put up a great performance. Florida is still a great team, so watching Kyle Trask this season has been extremely fun. He's improved his zip a little bit, which is one of the biggest things that I had an issue with him last year for, so it's going to be exciting to see what he can do as his, as his game will hopefully continue to grow over the season. Moving on to the running back spot, I got Travis Etienne at one, Najee Harris at two, C.J. Verdell out of Oregon at number three, Zamir White out of Georgia at four, and Journey Brown out of Penn State at five. We know about Etienne. We know about Harris. Let's talk about Verdell, a 5'8 running back who has great burst, great power, and great contact balance. He is huge for Oregon with Justin Herbert out. He is going to be the star for this Oregon offense. Verdell is going to get a lot of love once the Pac-12 returns because this guy is an incredible running back. Huge fan of him, and if you haven't checked him out yet, be sure to do so because he is exciting. Zamir White was someone that has swollen up draft boards for me because, you know, coming into the season, I think it's easy to predict that the starting Georgia running back is going to be a successful one. But he has just shown out for Georgia with Stetson Campbell starting at the uh, or Stetson Bennett starting at quarterback for Georgia Bulldogs. They have relied on the running game, and Zamir White, James Cook, and many other guys have stepped up to the plate. But Zamir White has been most impressive to me for sure. I think he is worth an early day two draft pick and could be a huge asset for any NFL team going forward and will be huge for the Georgia Bulldogs' success going forward. And Journey Brown out of Penn State is an athletic running back who is, has big playability written all over him. Another five-star running back that has stepped in to the Penn State Nittany Lions and has succeeded 
you know, Penn State's got a little running back you thing going for them with Saquon, Miles Sanders, now Journey Brown. They have definitely produced at the running back position. Journey Brown, probably not as much love in terms of draft stock, but I think he is definitely going to be a great asset for an NFL team as well. Moving on to wide receiver, I think I got my first notable hot take for number one in the rankings, and that is Jalen Waddle taking the number one spot. Jamar Chase at number two, Rondell Moore at three, Rashad Bateman at four, and Devonta Smith at five. All five of these guys offer so much in the passing game. This wide receiver class is loaded yet again. So if you are a team needing a wide receiver, you are in luck this year, whether you go round one, round two, round three, round four, round five, you're going to find some contributors. Jalen Waddle has overtaken Chase for me because really it's just how effective he is at both playing the deep ball, getting deep, and creating separation. Jamar Chase is an outstanding wide receiver. I don't want this to be a, you know, I don't want this ranking to be taken as, oh, I don't think Chase is very good, or I don't think Chase is as worthy of the hype as he's gotten so far. He is an excellent receiver. But Jalen Waddle has just done so much this season. And we talked about it whenever Chase first opted out. We said, you know, with with an opt-out, there's going to be bias to players that we're seeing play and dominate. And maybe that's what's happening here. But at the same time, Waddle just offers so much as a deep threat with explosive playmaking speed that I think he fits today's NFL. With any situation where he gets a QB with a rocket, I think he's no doubt going to break like a 1,000 yards as a rookie right away. At the tight end spot, we got Kyle Pitts out of Georgia at number one, Brevin Jordan out of Miami, Florida at number two, Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin at number three, Pat Fairmouth at number four from Penn State, and Hunter Long out of Boston College at number five. Let's start with Kyle Pitts. For entering this offseason, I had question marks about this guy because at 6'6", 240, obviously the size and receiving ability were already there. However, I had questions about if he was really going to take that next step as a blocker. For Pitts, though, so far this season, he has looked phenomenal when he's been asked to block and it doesn't happen often but he has shown enough promise to where i think i feel comfortable with how much upside he offers as a receiver to feel comfortable with him being a great tight end even with his lack of experience as a blocker because when he's asked to do so he seems to do really well play strength is there the effort was there and i was just overall really impressed especially in the texas a&m game that i watched he had some really nice reps as a blocker that make me believe this is a surefire tight end one. Whatever team gets him is obviously most enticed by his receiving ability. But Kyle Pitts is a complete tight end. And at that frame, he is going to be hard to pass on for NFL teams. Moving on to the offensive line for offensive tackle. Number one, Penny Sewell, number one, or out of Oregon. Number two, Liam Eichenberg out of Notre Dame. Dylan Radins out of North Dakota State. Number four, Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. And number five, Daniel Falele out of Minnesota. I think the most enticing players on this list, Sewell's already been talked about. He's a consensus top five pick. This guy has athleticism, great pass blocking ability, great run blocking ability, and just overall will continue to grow his game. Will be huge for Oregon's success. Let's talk about Eichenberg, though. Notre Dame has consistently churned out great offensive linemen throughout the season, and Eichenberg is just, or throughout the many years, I mean, not just the season, sorry, but Eichenberg is just another one of the great Notre Dame offensive linemen that are going to be coming into the league. I think whether you put him on the left tackle spot or the right tackle spot, he's going to find success. He is absolutely dominant and a huge reason why Notre Dame is succeeding as heavily as they are. Him and uh, Robert Hainsey, I believe is his name. Sorry, I, it's blanking on me right now. But they have a great bookend of tackles, and Eichenberg, I think, has much more draft stock and value than people are giving him credit for. Dylan Radins at North Dakota State is a 
draft crush for some of the notable NFL draft media. I think the love for him is warranted. He has a lot of great upside. And, you know, with North Dakota State also not having much of a season, it's really going to come down to how he performs in places like the Senior Bowl and other spots like that. So we'll see how he performs, but the love is there already. For Jalen Mayfield, I think his athleticism and upside is going to be the most enticing piece of how he does as a prospect. Last season, what we saw, there's a lot to love, but at the same time, he needs to continue to show strides. He is supposed to be coming back to Michigan, so we will see if he takes that next step. But I think there's a lot of promise here to where he's going to be an early draft pick because of potential alone. And we've seen so many NFL coaches take risks on guys like Mayfield that I think he'll be an earlier pick than people are expecting right now. And then Daniel Falele is the huge 6'9", 400-pound right tackle for Minnesota, and he produces. I love his size. He's not just 400 pounds. He can move pretty well for his size as well. If you're looking for a right tackle in a power-blocking scheme that can really just take advantage of guys with their great strength and use their size to their advantage, Daniel Falele does that. I kind of think of you know how much entice, entice there was for Makai Becton and guys like Trent Brown on the free agency market. When you have that size, as long as you can use it, you're going to be effective, and I think Falele does a good job of using that. And then we'll try to get through this quickly for the interior offensive line. Josh Myers out of Ohio State is my number one. Landon Dickerson out of Alabama is my number two. Zion Johnson, who's playing tackle right now for Boston College, but probably should be a guard in the NFL from Boston College is number three. Trey Smith out of Tennessee is number four. And Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State is number five. I think the most notable thing about this top five isn't who's on it, but it's who's not on it. And that is Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma. I was a big fan of Humphrey's film from a junior year perspective, but then I went to rewatch some of his film this year. And I just feel like there's something missing with Humphrey and it's, a lack of leg drive, and he kind of just gets extended, but he doesn't have a lot of force behind his block. Uh, you know, I, I'm rooting for the guy. I don't like to be negative about prospects, but at the same time, I got to give my evaluation and try to give insight on these guys. Creed Humphrey is someone that I am kind of worried about for where their draft stock is right now compared to what I am seeing on film. Brian, obviously, we're very early in the draft season. But for you, you're always watching guys, whether it's week to week on college football or just rewatching some of the film. Do you have any sleepers out there that you're kind of big on that maybe haven't been talked about as much in terms of draft stock? No, to be honest with you, I'm probably not the guy for sleepers in the draft. I will say that even though they did lose, I mean, the uh, the Trask to Pitts combination was is definitely um, something, you know, uh, to watch. I, I you know, it was a little bit disappointing that they lost that game to Texas A&M because I think having Florida in the national title picture for a while would have been more interesting. But I guess thinking about going beyond the, you know, the first couple of quarterbacks, I do wonder whether uh, Trask is able to take, you know, that next step and get, you know, sort of closer to that Justin Fields, you know, Trevor Lawrence and then everybody else sort of yeah. category. I wonder if Trask will be able to make his way to the top of that. And then that makes him maybe a first-round quarterback instead of a second- or third-round quarterback, that's definitely something I'm interested in. Not for the Jets, since they will be picking first. <laughs> That'll be an easy choice for them. Yeah, and, you know, there's so many guys that still could easily work their way up. There's QBs such as, like we talked about with Hendon Hooker, how, you know, there's so much promise in mobility now in the NFL and just overall arm strength. As long as you put together this polish performance and you kind of prove yourself, your stock kind of flies up. And I think with Kyle Trask, he's not the most nimble of QB. So it really just comes down to how much success can you have with your team and how much can you deal with like any pressure that's coming into your face, like as a pocket passer, because the league is trending away from pocket passers. But the biggest thing is just, can you handle pressure? Joe Burrow isn't going to blow anyone away on a scramble, even though he's a little bit faster than you may think 
he's not some you know four five four six guy that's going to be running around there putting up great numbers but he handles pressure very well he has excellent poise in the pocket and he can really make he can extend plays but also if someone's coming in he stays calm sits there makes the throw and that's the biggest thing for Trask is when you have you know not this athleticism that teams are wanting out of you what can you do when handling pressure and i think so far this season he's shown even when he's getting pressured he can have some really nice throws so his stock is definitely going up i think there was a lot of love for him early on and i was kind of questioning it because i didn't think his arm was really to where it needed to be but his arm looks stronger this year he's making great decisions he has florida's offense rolling on all cylinders are firing on all cylinders, sorry. And then now it's just kind of putting it all together week in, week out, and continuing that play in order to keep his stock as high as it can go. Yeah, I think Joe Burrow uh, falls into that category where maybe Josh Allen does a little bit where they're they're not fast, uh, straight line fast, but they're quicker than maybe than you think they are and they're capable of creating a little bit of extra sort of space for themselves more than you think. It's probably another gear that Trask needs because, you know, you're not going to be able to be Joe Flacco. You're not going to be able to stand there six foot five in the pocket, completely immobile and uh, play NFL quarterback. That's not the way in the 2020s that the game is going to be able to play be be played. So he's going to have to be able to move around a little bit, create a little bit of extra space. Chances are you're not going to get drafted to a team that has, you know, an amazing offensive line. We even see teams like Kansas City, like Indianapolis, that have good offensive lines that are actually struggling this year. So the quarterback is going to have to make, um, you know, plays for himself. And we see that all the best quarterbacks are the ones that can sort of get creative and make plays for himself. So, you know, Trask still has miles to go, um, but it's really hard to find a franchise quarterback in the draft. I, I'd be, I'd wonder whether a team would take a player like Justin Fields over Trask, um, and maybe that depends on coach, on system at the time. But uh, that'll actually be really interesting because the top of the quarterback class is, you know, is easy. But everything else after that is is a question. Yeah, and no one's set in stone for sure. You speak on Justin Fields. We got one more week of college football, and then the Big Ten returns. What are you looking forward to seeing from the Big Ten this season? I think everyone who isn't biased and maybe isn't a Michigan fan is picking Ohio State to win the Mm -hmm. Big Ten. However, there is still a lot of great football and great teams to watch for this season. Do you have any, you know, teams that you think could surprise? And do you have any uh, things you're really just kind of looking forward to for the Big 12 this season? Yeah, I think anytime you're just missing one of those power five conferences that has like that, that it's a collection of games you miss. You're just used to um, the Big Ten games on Fox uh, at 12 and 3.30 p.m. like every Saturday. You kind of just know they're going to be there. Teams just running the ball down everyone's throat. Ohio State beating up Michigan. You can count on it every single year. Um, no, in all seriousness, I mean, Ohio State's an – massive favorite uh, from an odds perspective, and it makes total sense. I can't really think of a team that is going to beat them. I just, you know, on the face of it, you know, and and in a season like this, uh, chaos could reign. Uh, We've seen it elsewhere in college football already, and it's definitely possible. So if I had to pick another team that was maybe maybe had a chance to win the Big Ten, uh, possibly Wisconsin, Uh, their odds are, you know, around plus 600. So, I mean, it's definitely – uh, lofty, but uh, I would say that they have the best chance. But you know, otherwise, I, I don't really, I don't really see anyone beating this Ohio State team. I don't know. It might be a boring Big Ten season in that way, but I think that everything else behind it will be uh, pretty, will be pretty exciting. Maybe how it gets there, but in the end, it's just going to be Ohio State, don't you think? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think Ohio State as well. But there is going to be a lot of exciting football. You look at teams like Minnesota, teams like Wisconsin, teams like Penn State. It's going to be exciting to see these games, whether or not it is just Ohio State running the table. I think there's going to be so many huge matchups. Getting to see some of these guys play again, we get to see Rondell Moore, who has now re-entered into college football. We get to see Rashad Bateman. 
We get to see Journey Brown. We get to see what Wisconsin looks like post-Jonathan Taylor. There's just so much to be excited for when it comes to the Big Ten. And, you know, there's just – I mean, when you get good college football, it's it's good thing. And even if Ohio State just runs the table, the Big Ten is going to be good college football. So I'll take it. Uh, obviously, the season has been very weird compared to other ones. So getting all the football schools back and playing week in, week out, it's it's going to help everything feel a little bit more normal again. So, Yeah, I mean, one thing I would definitely tell people is that if they were interested in betting on these games, I mean, I, I would probably stick with the teams that have been playing for um, a couple of weeks. Uh, you just have so many questions when these Big Ten teams are going to start to play. And um, will the first couple of games be sort of like a preseason? Will teams be uh, be winded? You know, I, I don't even know how much stock you'll be able to put in the first couple of games. But uh, one of the reasons why I do like Wisconsin very simply is they don't have to play Ohio State. Uh, you know, and so anybody who has to play Ohio State, you kind of feel like automatically is going to have a loss on their schedule. I think Penn State is ranked in the top 10 also. So, you know, that might be the only team that has a chance to beat them. But um, if you take a look at Wisconsin's schedule, they do have to play Michigan and Minnesota, who are top 25 teams, but so are they. So they're not uh, really overmatched anywhere on the schedule. And if they ran the table and just had to play Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, you'd already have such a great odds that you would actually be in a fantastic position to just bet on Ohio State and um, hedge your bet because they're going to win the Big Ten. Yeah, and if you're looking to bet on any of these things, check out bonusseeker.com where you can find great info, great bets, and great opportunity at the site. And if you're looking for any info on the game of football, head over to landryfootball.com. There is multitudes of articles and podcasts discussing the NFL, college, high school, and many other levels of football coming from a draft perspective a statistical perspective, fantasy football, scouting, anything you want. Landry Football, BonusSeeker.com, partnered up for some great content. Brian, it's been a wonderful episode. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Wonderful Friday. Everyone watching, we thank you guys for coming in, checking us out. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Everyone else, have a wonderful Friday. Brian, you too. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.